Welcome in everyone to episode nine of Up and Down, the data-driven disc golf podcast. I'm Joey, joined as usual by Jesse. Hello, world. We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this special feature episode, we're breaking down what it means to be elite. So we'll be talking about elite performances, elite season averages, and elite players. And essentially what we're trying to do is put objective measurements and numbers to something that is inherently a subjective conversation. But first of all, how you doing, Jesse? I'm a little uncomfortable, Joey. I've never been on this side of the intro. So uh, finally seeing the intro from your side of things, but I could get used to it. It's not all that bad. Yeah, I might I might do it again. It was, that was pretty fun. Yeah, how are you, man? I, I'm doing great. I'm admittedly very excited about this episode. Um, I love when we do the tournament recaps. We talk about the stats and the cool little nuggets that we find. But I think having like a, a higher level conversation about statistics and disc golf and some of those topics is something that you and I definitely do off the mic. But I'm really excited to put some of that content out and kind of put our reputation out there a little bit you know some of these are kind of hot takes you know i'm claiming this is elite that's not this player is elite that player is not and um you know obviously these are our our own opinions but that's can be difficult conversations to have yeah for sure i i think we've dabbled with this a little bit in previous episodes but when you first pitched this topic to me of defining elite you know that threshold that really got my juices flowing because it's one of those things where you're given just this canvas you know to stick to an analogy that's very subjective and you know someone like me your brain tries to put a wrapper around the word elite that is more than just guidelines you know, guidelines are subjective, but you, you try to get yourself to come up with the formula, you know, the answer where every time you run the numbers through the formula, it gives you an answer that feels right. And that's kind of how you prove your formula works. Um, and it, it was a interesting puzzle to try to crack when tackling the definition of elite, you know, and, uh, Honestly, I, I'm saying that like I like I thought about it for hours on end, and uh, I really didn't. I, I actually found it was more helpful just to kind of embrace the subjectiveness and just guide it in the right direction with a little bit of analytical thought. But I think as we discuss what we came up with, I think we're going to really show some dimensions of analytical thinking, even if what we arrive at may or may not be uh, super analytical in the end. Sure. At least in my case, I feel that way. I, I don't know about you. I know you told me you had a spreadsheet I of do. notes. Which, I do. Which uh, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Yeah. Good so, chills. Goosebumps. So the way that, that, that Jesse and I decided to come about this was I essentially asked him to come up with some way you know, whether it's objective or subjective of defining what elite is, or at least beginning to talk about it. And I would do the same. And we haven't talked to each other about what those definitions are. This is sort of the first time that we've actually talked to each other about this on the mic or at all. So very excited to hear what you've got. The first thing that I'm just going to ask you is, you know, not even about your measures or what you came up with or anything, but when you hear the word elite, just like in the context of sports, what does that mean to you? So when I hear elite, it what I envision in my head, what, how I define that is it is some sort of threshold above which you are going to find a tier of people, athletes in this case, who just do something that doesn't even make sense. It It is hard to even imagine it's possible that they're doing what they're doing, right? And it's it's important to recognize that even though elite is a threshold that is extremely impressive, it's 
it's a threshold above which you're doing something that's hard to imagine. It is at the same time, by definition almost, by my definition, it's a threshold that is achievable, uh, not just in theory, but in practice. There are people who who are over that threshold. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree with that with that thought there. I think it has to be something that players can strive for and can get to. I think it needs to be a sort of, I don't want to say a separation as if there's like this valley between players that are elite and players that aren't, but it needs to be something that players can, can achieve. Right. And obviously we're talking about what it means to be elite within the context of a group of people or a group of performances that are already professional, right? We're talking about professional disc golfers and we're sort of trying to talk about which of those professional disc golfers are elite professional disc golfers. So the conversation about the fact that every single person that plays in pro tour events is probably elite compared to my dad at disc golf, you know, that's not really the conversation we're trying to have here. Um, it's sort of elite compared to your peers in this professional field is at least the way that I think of it. Yeah, no, that's. I'm glad that we interpreted it that way because just defining elite, I mean, I think everyone who's on the pro circuit and even a bunch of people who are not on the pro circuit are all elite disc golfers. Right. I would say. But in the context of professional disc golf, it's like a whole nother tier. Right. And that's what we're focusing on. You know, I think if you're comparing it to like all players that play disc golf casually or professionally, I would say the line for like an elite player is probably like a thousand rated, you know, that if you're thinking about it in the bigger picture of all of disc golf, but we're not, we're not focusing on that here. Yep. All right. So let's, let's jump right into it. I, I don't mind going first. Um, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my thought process here and, to me, what it means to be elite. So I'm excited to hear it. What I did is I took MPO and FPO season average stats for all of the, the normal statistics that we look at, you know, fairway hits, circle two and regulation, circle one X putting, all of that sort of stuff. And we've been looking at this stuff all year. So I feel like between you and I, we have like good gut reactions to like, oh, hey, that's a great circle one X putting percentage on the year. So what I did is I wrote a little function in Excel that highlights players that are above a certain percent percentile threshold. Um, and the easier way to word that is, oh, if they're in the top X percent, highlight those guys for me. And what I tried to do is I tried to mess around with that number until the players that it highlighted in in that stat felt about right for like the players that we say like oh so and so is an elite whatever and i i tried to do that for as many of these different stats as i could until i kind of found a number that felt like across the board it seemed to define where i felt like was elite and you know sometimes i have to up it up or down a little bit for different stats. And I think that's okay. You know, it's it's hard to completely objectify it. But I think I found a number that for the most part feels pretty good to me. And I'll talk more about other ways that I applied this number to the whole field of players and how you define if a player is elite as, as a whole player. So... I tried a bunch of numbers starting at 80% and going all the way up to 99%. So what I would mean by 80% is if you're in the 80th percentile, that means that you're in the top 20% of players in that particular statistic. The number that I settled on, here's the big reveal, is 95%. So you're in the top 5%. Okay in a given statistic or in a given field or a given subset of players or compared to everybody. And for the most part, it seems like that choice generates a cutoff line that feels about right 
like I said, you could always add or subtract a couple players. But what I thought I would do is just pull up a couple of these stats and sort it by this 95% and just talk to you about how many players would fall in the elite and who those players are. And you can talk to me about if that feels right to you, the players that are included, or if you feel like there's any players that should have been included that aren't. So, yeah, definitely. So let's let's start in the MPO side. So there's 308 players that have played a Pro Tour event this year, which means that my 95th percentile should give about 15 players in each of these. Yep. Because there's ties and things like that, it, it's not always exactly that number. So the average number of elite players that actually got identified was 14. So pretty close. So let's start in circle one X putting. So this includes players that only played the minimum 108 holes. So I thought about removing those players and drawing that line higher, but I didn't feel comfortable making that choice myself. So I decided to just leave it and go with the 108 holes minimum. So we've got Andrew Marweed and Isaac Robinson are right at the top of circle one X putting. I don't think anybody's arguing that those guys are elite putters. Yeah, someone might, but it's not me. Right. So the cutoff line is 86% in MPO is the cutoff line for on your season average, you are an elite putter. Because there's a couple players in here that have only played a few events, um, you know, Josh Anthon, Thomas Tomaselli, um, if you take out those guys, I think the line draws a little better at 85%. And to be honest, that's the number that I came into this with. And it's actually the number that I that started this whole elite conversation in my mind is what is that number? And for me, it's 85% in the MPO field. If you're above that on the season, you are an elite putter. And right now, including those guys that have only played the minimum amount of holes, there would be 23 players that are 86% or higher. Okay. I won't I won't feels. comment on my I I won't reveal my thresholds yet. Yeah, don't. Um but I I will say I like the number. I like the process especially. Okay. So my process was certainly different. Um I think your approach is what I would have considered the right way to do it i don't think there is a right way but i think if i had all the time in the world i think that is what i would have considered my preferred method of doing it yep um so i i certainly applaud the method i back it wholeheartedly i think one of the important aspects of an elite threshold is that there cannot be too many people in that threshold right but there has to be more than one person in that threshold right so it's what is the right number becomes the essence of that question and i think your approach is similar to what i think the right approach should be in that you are tuning the numbers until the number of people in that group is whatever number you want it to be right you have that number in mind whatever it is for you mine's a little different um but i took the same approach as i think this tier the elite tier of people should have x number of people in it and i am going to set the threshold such that that many people are in it right and and there's some feeling there right what feels right for how many players you know simply dropping it from 85% to 84%. Or if I say 85%, is that above or including 85%? Those choices can easily double the number of players that are in this group. Yep. Um, So I'm not going to be super specific with those definitions here. I don't think that's important. But for me, 85% circle one X putting in the MPO. And the number for me in circle two is 30%. So right now there are... 15 players, exactly what it expected in Circle 2, that have shot 30% or better on the year in Circle 2. Okay, okay. So 85 and 30 would be your your putt line. 
Yeah, like, whatever we decide to call that. Right. We'll we have a, we have a crush line, and, and then we have some kind of putting line. We'll come up with a more fun term than that. Um, yep. So to me, that felt right. And, you know, the names that I see in here, Gannon Burr, Adam Hammes, Matty O, Eagle McMahon, Andrew Marweed, Corey Ellis, these are all guys that you expect to see, right? Those guys feel like elite circle two putters. And the guys that are close, you know, you've got Kyle Klein, Gavin Babcock, Greg Barsby. Those are guys that are like anybody could easily argue that those guys are elite circle two putters, you know, just because this year they're, they're missing it by 1%. You know, that that's what's hard about this is I've objectified something that is inherently subjective. So it's like, if you asked me without looking at this list, is Greg Barsby an elite circle two putter? I would give you a resounding yes. But so far this year, looking at the statistics, there have been players that have been more elite in circle two than Greg Barsby. So, you know, talking about him as a circle two putter of all time is different than looking at the stats this year, who is elite on this season in circle two. Yeah, and that was a point that I really wanted to make is that when you start testing your feels right instincts, you know, you drew the line at 30%, for example. Right. Well, Paul Macbeth is at 29%. Right. Is anybody so, ever going to say Paul Macbeth is not an elite circle two putter? Right. <laughs> I'm certainly not. I mean, he's no, elite. Of course not. He absolutely um, is. But so far, and I think it is so important that while the gut check, the the instincts, the feels right, I think that is so important. But going through this exercise of defining elite really taught me that you have to recognize when you are favoring someone too much. Right, Paul Macbeth, he's an elite circle two putter. But is it possible that this season he's just been a little quieter than his average? Right. And is only just very, very good. And it's, and har- not it's hard to be willing to admit that to yourself, right? Exactly. Greg Barsby, another guy, like you said, I mean, he is one of the best all time, it feels like. But it's possible that this year he's just, you know one or two standard deviations above the average and not two and a half into that elite. Yeah. Yep. Two and a half, three and make no mistake. We're talking about Greg and and Paul missing this imaginary elite threshold by one or 2%. Right. Very, very close, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk about circle one R and then I'm going to quickly jump over to FPO. And then, then I definitely want to hear your, your thoughts. I won't list them all here, but I might make some some plots on our Instagram about who makes my cut and who doesn't and, and see people's reactions. So circle one in regulation, the cut line that the elite criterion gave my top 5% sets it at 42%. I liked the putting stats because 85-30 is like a really easy thing to remember. 42 yep. is a little more random, but just going with that, you know, the, the big names, Ricky, Chris, Luke Taylor, Calvin, Seppo Payu, Ezra Aderhold, Albert Tom, Simon Lazat, I mean, Eagle McMahon. I mean, these are all guys that feel like elite tee to green players, right? And guys that are just barely making the cut, you know, or just barely missing the cut. Aaron Gossage, Nico LaCastro, Cole Rodolin, Drew Gibson, Kyle Klein, James Conrad, Garrett Gerthy. You know, those are all those guys that on any season, you could easily convince me that they're an elite tee to green player, but maybe just this particular season, the stats aren't, aren't quite there compared to those other names. Yep. Totally agree. And that feels about right. So I'm going to do the same thing on the FPO side. So the number here that it gave me was 76. I'm just going to call it 75. There's 90 players in the FPO field that have played a Pro Tour event this year, which means the average is just shy of five. So there would be five players that have shot better than 75. If you include 75, there are seven players, and those players are Owen Scoggins, Heather Young, 
Anakin Steen, Valerie and Alexis Mandahano, Julie Moens, and Sarah Gilpin. And that sounds, it feels about right for how many players I think in a 90-player field you would include in the elite category, five to seven. So that C1X threshold was 75%, you said? Yeah. Okay. As you're giving me these numbers, I'm writing a note next to my number, and so we'll we'll compare. We'll do a comparison. Yep. Yeah. So so notably, this knocks off Lisa Fakus, Missy Gannon, Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar, players that are objectively excellent circle one putters in the FPO field, but same conversation, maybe just this season, you know, they're they're just missing that performing elite this season and because the field is smaller i think it's only fair that our criterion is effectively smaller right you know instead of having 15 players we only have five because the field is about a third of the size what are your thoughts yeah on hit that? me with those hit me uh say it one more time the just names? so i make sure i'm answering the right question yeah what does it do you agree that the number of players that we consider elite has to be smaller if the field size is smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you did, I looked at it as a percentage. Right. And, you know, if your sample size gets smaller, then the percentage of that number is is smaller. Yeah. So in circle two, the number was 19%. I think just to have a quick rule of thumb, you know, I gave 85 and 30 in MPO. I'm going to give those numbers as 75 and 20 in FPO instead of the 19 that just the hard math would have given. So again, I'm introducing a little bit of that gut check subjectivity here, mostly just for the sake of nice numbers, at least as far as circle one and circle two, because as far as percentage stats, those are the ones that are the most important to me. So... In circle two, if you draw the line at 20%, that identifies four players. That would be Owens Goggins, Julie Moens, Heather Young, and Katrina Allen. And all of those names feel great as far as identifying elite circle two putters. And the people barely missing the cut, Missy Gannon, Paige Pierce, Holland Hanley, Valerie Mandahano. Yeah, Holland Hanley was the one I was looking for that didn't make that cut at 20%. But she is very close. Paige Pierce, also very close. Valerie Mondahano. So those all check out. Yeah. And again, I've said it a few times already, but just to reiterate, I'm not claiming that Paige is not an elite circle two putter. I'm claiming that this season, her numbers just aren't right there. You know, maybe if you looked at every single FPO player ever, their career average circle two putting percent. I bet Paige is in the top 5% of those players, you know, as long as you draw the line somewhere for like a minimum number of events. I think you're probably right. Yeah, and and I'll I'll jump over onto one of the Tita Green stats just to to see what feels good there. Um, you know, let's go to circle one regulation to keep it consistent. This identified five players, Evelina Salonen, Kristen Tatar, Paige Pierce, Natalie Ryan, Katrina Allen. I don't know that anybody's going to argue with any of those players not being elite circle one, you know, Tita Green players. Yeah, no, I, I think you checked all the boxes on that one. Yeah, and players barely missing the cut. You know, again, these are players that sort of in my heart and in my mind, I think of as elite or almost elite Tita Green players, but, you know, it, it's the week-to-week consistency that leads to you being truly elite. So I've got Holland Hanley, Ella Hansen, Jen Allen, Kat Merch, Valerie Manahano. Those are the, the players that just barely miss the cut. And, you know, Juliana Corver, Kona Panis, Maria Oliva, Haley King, I think any of those players in any, like, half a season could easily be in that top five group. It's just... We've got to be strict with the FPO because there's not as many players. Um, but any of those players could easily be argued to be elite as well just by adding or subtracting a percent or two. Yeah, the only name who didn't get in on the field test for me was Ella Hansen. Yep. But I think everything else was was pretty sound. Cool. So that's what I had prepared. I'm interested to have what 
to hear what you had. And then I want to spend a couple of minutes at the end just talking about, you know, what it means to be an elite player, um, you know, sort of apply our criteria criteria to the whole field. You know, how many players would you put in that group? Maybe name some names. And then I've got one more little bonus question for you at the very end. Yeah, absolutely. So before I get into my end, what was the circle one and regulation threshold you ended up settling on? For MPO, it was 42%. And for FPO, it was 36%. 36, okay. That was the straight math top 5%. Yep. All right. So on my end in the MPO, there were two things that were extremely important in determining where this threshold was. So as far as the process, basically I just pulled up on UDISC Live, the stats leaders and sorted by each individual stat. And, you know, I look at the person who is leading that stat. So say it's uh, Chris Dickerson at 80% fairways or something crazy. And then if I go down one more percent, who enters that tier now? And is that enough people? And are they the right people? If I want more people in that tier, I'll go down one more percent. And then do I have enough people in this tier? Yes or no? And keep going down until I feel like I have a small number of people because I don't want too many people in that tier. But I have to have the right number of the right people in that tier. And that's where I draw the line. So really, there wasn't really any math. Um, I guess the only math you could argue that was there is the counting of is this number of people in the tier too big or or too small. Okay. Um, One of the really, really important things for me when defining these thresholds is avoiding the nice round numbers. Yeah. And I think it is just all too common in science and engineering and all that stuff where when the data is forward facing when you're talking about data at the front end right where it is interacting with the masses it is often nice to simplify everything to nice numbers because like you said they're easier to remember right? That's a huge benefit of using nice round numbers. And in the case of how the end user, the masses, is using those numbers in a lot of cases, it is valuable for them to be memorable. And it is valuable for you to do a little bit of rounding and publish everything as nice round numbers because it leads to the people remembering what those values were. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is value to that, but by rounding those numbers and shaping them into what we consider to be nice, nice numbers that are easy to remember, you start to lose the analytics behind it all. Right. And it loses integrity. So I, I really tried, I, I really, really tried to avoid nice numbers and if I just happened to land on a nice number, I like tried to convince myself to change it so that I was convincing myself I'm not settling on this just because it's a nice number. Okay. Um, you would consider the next number or the one before it if if possible. Yeah, I, I did end up with the MPO. I looked at one, two, three, four, five. I looked at nine stats. I did end up with two nice numbers in those nine stats. So All right. I think overall I did a good job of not settling on nice numbers. Um, okay. In this case, I'm saying that nice numbers are multiples of five. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, so numbers that end in a five or a zero specifically. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm very And interested. I only got that in two cases. I'm very interested to hear what you had for, you know, those same three stats, circle one, circle two, and, and circle one, in regulation, I think those are are nice examples of stats. You know, putting and then tee to green. Um, we could do it for every stat, but I don't know that there's too much value in naming all of those names. 
Yeah, so here's the interesting thing is you asked earlier when the field size gets smaller going from MPO to FPO, does the number of people in that top tier change? And I'm thinking my number didn't change as much as yours because my thresholds in the MPO were higher than your thresholds for all the numbers that you gave me. But in the FPO, all of my thresholds were lower. Okay, so you, on average, probably included fewer MPO players, but more FPO players. So your your numbers are probably like between... 8 and 12 or something like that for most of the your groupings yeah so i think for the mpo i was trying to hit like 10 players maybe closer to eight so like eight to ten and i think for the women i was more between five and seven okay so i i mean (laughs) i i love this because sort of exactly what i was talking about with the shortcomings of my method you know in circle one and regulation where i was like you know i I kind of wish I could go one or two more percent lower to include Ella Hansen, Jen Allen, Kat Merch, and your method, like, that that was your method, was to go until you had the number of people that felt right. So it's like our methods are so contrasting in that way. It's really cool how that worked out. Yeah, and another thing I found that was really interesting in doing this was I noticed this especially in the FPO, right? So uh, one of the stats I looked at was birdie percentage, okay? And I I rank everyone in birdie percentage, and I get like five or six names down, and suddenly I'm getting to a point where Paige Pierce's birdie percentage is like, she birdies like 30% more holes than the person who has the seventh best birdie percentage. Right. And you start asking yourself, like, am I setting the threshold too low, not because I have so many people in this tier, but because this one person is just obliterating this threshold. Right. And I ran into this with Ricky Waisaki on the MPO side, both Ricky and Chris in circle one in regulation. Yeah, they're kind of off Because the I started getting down to that like 42, 43%. But Chris and Ricky are at like 48. And it's like, does it make sense to have a threshold for elite where you're having players who are 10% higher than this threshold? Right. Right? It, it makes it seem like you're putting the threshold too low. But at the end of the day, I... I I don't think you are because that threshold, I think it has to have, it can't just have one or two people in it. It has to have some small number in it. Right. And uh, to get that number of people, you had to include these guys who were blowing past it and making it look silly. Right. And like, does Ricky Wysocki being even more dominant than he already is mean that Kyle Klein should or shouldn't be considered elite? You know, and that's that's sort of an interesting way of thinking about it. Right. Like, if I'm looking at the top 100 guys in the MPO and I want to identify five of them who are elite, you know, let's say my five guys are Paul, Eagle, Ricky, Calvin, and Chris. If Paul, whatever stat value he has in that stat... If we just increase it 50%, the the amount of people in that tier is still 5, you know? So so that threshold is still right, right? You know, just because Paul suddenly I increase his number 50%, I'm not going to kick Chris Dickerson out of that tier now. Right. Right. Where maybe some people might say you should. I don't know. But that that wasn't my take on it. I'm so curious to hear your numbers. All right. So in the MPO for C1X, your percentage was 85. Yes. I was at 87. Okay. I felt like going to 86 and 85, there were just enough guys, guys who didn't pass the field test 
and the number of just the sheer number of people on that tier was a little bit higher than I wanted. So not to cut you off, but it'll make you feel good to know that the number that the 95% line predicted was the split between 86 and 87. And I okay. fell victim to the rounding that we, we discussed a minute ago, trying to pick a better number, but yep. including only players that were 87% or better was the exact 5%. Gotcha. So you, your method checks out so far in my book. Fair enough. For circle two percentage, your threshold was 30. Yes. Mine was 33. Okay. And I think this was one of my more stringent thresholds. Yeah, that would only um, include nine MPO players. Yeah, so my threshold excludes one, two, three, four, five, six. It only excludes six people that you included. That's actually. right. So it's it's not as different as I expected. Um, I would be willing to go especially to 32 because yeah. it only adds two more guys, and those guys are Thomas Gilbert and Gannon Burr. Yeah. Mm, maybe I fell victim to the nice numbers at 33. 33, yeah. Oh, no. Because I'm seeing Adam Hammes at 31, and, and you know, we're... Yeah, he's been streaky. I'm not worried too much about that. Okay. I mean, Corey Ellis is at, like, 85% yeah, that's C1X, true. and he was at 84, and I was okay not including him. Yeah. I mean, Greg's all the way down at 28 in circle two, so. Yep. And then circle one in regulation, you had 42%. Yep. I almost had 42%, if I remember correctly, and then I did bump it up to 43. So I'll say I, I wasn't super consistent in the way I said this. I should have thought more about it. So my, my spreadsheet says 42, but the way that it highlights and the number that it highlights, it had to exceed 42, and I don't have any more precision than that that single digit yep so yep it is actually 43 and up is the better way to say that got you and there are only two guys who are at exactly 43 so for you going from 42 to 43 it only adds two guys one of which is eagle mcmahon no i mean but do, you cut out a do lot i of include 42 or not um and that right and by not guys. including it right now you would omit five guys right? for circle one in regulation, which would be Cole Radalin, Joseph Berg, Piri Yautzen, Nico LaCastro. Yeah. So I, I should have been more specific. And Aaron Gossage. About how I notated that. But yeah. So the top 13 is sort of what we both arrived at there. Nice. Love it. All right. So for the FPO. Starting with C1X percentage. So your threshold was 75. Mine was 1% lower. It was 74. Okay, so you included Missy Gannon and Lisa Vegas. Yes. Um, including both of those people definitely felt right. Yeah, I can't, um, can't argue Especially with that. Lisa Fakus. That was one that I felt had to be in there. And then for circle two, you had said 19%, and I went one lower to 18%. Okay. And that includes four more players, Paige, Holland Hanley, Sandra Richardson, Valerie Mandahano, and I think Paige, Holland, and Valerie are all those, like, feels right to consider them elite circle two putters. Yeah, so actually it gets me Holland Hanley, Paige Pierce, Sarandra Richardson, and Missy Gannon. Oh, I'm sorry. Valerie, I, I was, I'm yep, seeing it you're 16. Right. I was reading it yep. wrong. Yep. And that, that feels right. And I got to stop and say it every time I see this. We're deciding if Paige and Missy are elite or not at 18%. And Owen is sitting at 27%. I, I know, <laughs> man. I don't, oh. I don't get it. She's too good. Yeah, 50% above yeah. my threshold. And that's another one that's just like, is this threshold too low? Like, right. how can someone exceed the threshold by 50%? Right. Is it, should we consider own and only own elite? You know, of course not. Right. That doesn't feel right. No. I don't know. 
All right, what did so you then for my circle one in regulation, you had 36%. I had 34. Okay. Tell me who that includes that I didn't have. So actually, this is interesting. There is no one who's at exactly 36%. Right. But by going from 36 to 34, you add Holland Hanley and Henna Blomroos, who are both at 35. And you add Jennifer Allen and Ella Hansen, who are at 34. Yeah, both of those, or all four of those feel right. I mean, those are absolutely elite Tita Green players. Yep, and if you wanted to go one more lower to 33, you'd get Valerie Mondahano and Kat Merch. But that would also put 11 people in that tier, and I felt that was a little bit too much. Right. Now, you know, by going 11 out of a 90-player field, you're talking about the top 10, full 10%. Um, right. Which might be okay, and that might be how somebody in their own head defines elite. And that's completely okay. That's, you know, why we're having this episode. So I, that was really fun. I feel really good about sort of where we both picked. You know, I feel like we were in agreement for the most part, you know, plus or minus, you know, a couple players. And I think that's good that regardless of how you define it, I think we sort of all have this unspoken way of thinking about it. And we probably all agree for the most part in general, plus or minus a few players what it means to be elite even if it's really hard to define that yeah i think for most people the elite category includes more than one person but it includes a small percentage of people and i think most people would agree on that yes and then it just and Where then i think draw that line is what's up yeah for debate. most people will take the next step and convert that to some small percentage whether they actually, you know, have a spreadsheet, find all the people in that percentage or not, you know, I didn't go that extra step, for example, but I think a lot of people are going to get to that same place where it's some small percentage of people and whatever percentage that is is up to you, but it's probably greater than 0% and less than 50 Right. Yeah. So I, I don't want to spend too much more time on this episode, but I, I have a couple more questions that I'm going to ask you to wrap this up. So if I look at all the players that have played a Pro Tour event this year, I had 145 in the FPO, and my 5% criterion would mean that I have seven players that I would consider elite as far as their, you know, whatever list you want to rank them by. You know, you could do it by the DGPT standings. You could be, do it by the PDGA rankings. I Right now, I just have the PDGA ratings up. So I'm just going to name a player, and I want you to tell me if right now, you know, in the last year, which is about, you know, that's how far the ratings look back, is this does this player feel elite to you? Sure. Evelina Salonen. Ugh. Wow, that's so tough. Because she's like two different players yeah. in one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. So Evelina is sixth in the PDGA ranking. So using my criterion, she would fall within elite. And in my mm -hmm. head, I do think of Evelina as, as one of the elite players. I but think she should be one of the elite players. And I think, I think she will be. I don't think she's there right now. Okay. So right now, my my list would be Kristen, Paige, Katrina, Haley, Own, Evelina, and Henna. And Valerie is tied with Henna for the rating, so I'm going to give that to her as well. But Missy Gannon and Sarah Hokum would both miss the cut. So I'm not going to go through the same list on MPO. I'm not going to name all players, but that number would be 25. So... Looking okay. at the top 25 MPO players, I know you don't know exactly where everybody ranks, so I'm going to ask, do you consider Anthony Barella an elite player? I do not. Okay, so Anthony Barella is within the top 25 by my criterion. Do you consider okay. 
Greg Barsby an elite player? I do not. Okay. So he's just outside the line on the other side. Okay. Um, so it sort of feels a little different when you start to think about like a player rather than like the player within a given stat category. And that's something. Yeah. And it's tough too, because like some of these players are elite at certain things. Right. Like Garrett, but Garrett Gerthy, right. You think of him as elite because yeah. you know, he's an amazing thrower of the disc. I'm not saying Garrett's a bad putter, but it's not what he's known for. So yep. on average as a player, you know, kind of the, the conversation we were just having about Evelina, does that mean as a whole, they're an elite player? You know, like, let's talk about Kevin Jones. Do you consider Kevin Jones an elite player? Yeah, I think he's about he's been... where the line feels like, right? Uh, yeah, I'd put like four or five players between him and the line. Sure. Maybe, maybe even more than that, honestly. Um, I feel like this season he's played a little bit below where we'd expect, but I think he's still in that elite category. Yeah. So he, Kevin Jones is right around that 17, 18 mark. So like you said, if you put, you know, a few more players, we're, we're talking about 25 there. Um, but I wanted to bring up another conversation about the elite of the elite. So Mm. if you're, if you are familiar with like tier rankings and things like that, um, I want to talk about that S tier. So these are those players that are just like the in another world players. And for this conversation, I want to focus on the in general, not necessarily the like right now. Um, Yep. So don't think super short term with this. Give me, give me as many MPO players as you feel comfortable naming elite of the elite. Paul Macbeth, Ricky Wysocki, Chris Dickerson, Eagle McMahon, Calvin Heimberg. I'm like on the fence on. Yep. It's really those four guys for me. Okay. So the names I wrote down were Paul, Rick, Eagle are 100% absolutely. Those three feel like they're in a different world. And then for me, my on the lines are Chris and Calvin. I think year to year, you know, they kind of go back and forth. Two years ago, Calvin was absolutely one of those 1050 boys. He was up there and Chris was a ways back. I think this year, Chris has been working his way up. Um, and particularly last year, we didn't see Calvin perform quite as well as he did the year before. So for me, those two guys are on the fence. Yeah, I think the big thing is that Paul, Ricky, and Eagle all have one or more things that they can do that are like truly just world class, best in the world at like that. Nobody thing. else can do that. Yeah. Yeah. For Chris, I think for him, it's just more, he's very, very good at everything, but he's not like elite in any one thing. Right. And even that, it's hard to say that because he's like number one in circle one in regulation and number one in fairway hits. So I think it's safe to say that this season, at least he is the best at something, Um, but it's like not as flashy, maybe. Like Eagle throws further than everybody else. He's also like an elite putter by, you know, he, he falls just in or out of our definitions there. But, you know, Ricky, nobody's arguing that he isn't one of those elite distance guys. And he's also arguably the best putter in the world at different times. He was definitely objectively the best putter in the world. You know, Paul, same thing. I mean, you watch Paul play and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I forgot that Paul has an elite forehand because he's so yes. freaking good at everything else. So yep. if you can't say that same thing about Calvin and Chris, does that make them not in this elite of the elite category? You know, are those your A-tier guys where you can say, you know, yes, they're obviously excellent putters, blah, 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 but is, you know, if they're not like world-class in two or more of those major categories. Yeah. And I'm with you too with Chris Dickerson, because I think last year, I think I would have given him 
the nod for elite but it would not have been as cut and dry for me as it is this year like to me he's he's like a top three in the world right easy like i think this year like he's a better player right now than paul Macbeth. yeah i think he's a better player right now maybe than ricky yeah like i agree i mean i think he's like clearly the best player in the world right now but ricky's been injured too so yep we'll see like in the beginning of the season i and even going into last year ricky wysocki was hands down the best player in the world absolutely yeah not close um so maybe my my short-term memory has just already given up the first spot to chris um but i think chris and ricky like they are the s tier like s plus and eagle like when eagle's healthy i I think he should be in that tier as well oh for sure and then right now i think paul like he's more in the s tier right now because i know that he can put up those like 16 unders at champs cup type of thing i think the consistency is what's down a little bit this year but like the raw skill is is it's hard to say that that's any different than it was last year yeah of course so he's paul and yeah yeah, yeah. so i think about you know a little off topic from the elite thing here but we i I like the exercise everybody's kind of gone through this where it's like you know let's build your robot player where you get to pick ganon's putting and chris's throwing and calvin's forehand and you know build that player and you you sort of pick different players because it's fun to do but I feel yep. like if you asked everybody, you know, everybody that follows disc golf, okay, pick who would you pick for forehand? And everybody votes, and then you grab the, without knowing, nobody knows who this person is that gets picked. You know, best forehand, best backhand, best putting, best whatever, mental, like all those, those major like five categories. I think four out of those five categories, Eagle McMahon wins by a landslide. Yeah, it's really hard to argue with that. You know, I think I was it, thinking the same thing too. Like you started talking about the build your robot player, and in my head, I'm like, well, I want Eagles putt, I want Eagles forehand, I want Eagles distance. Yeah. Like. Yeah. You know. And, you know, clearly the fact that he's not like miles ahead of Paul and Rick shows that there's more to it than that right um but as far as the physical attributes i mean it feels like he sort of runs away with it yeah i agree so let's wrap up quickly by by going through the same exercise on the fpo players draw your line Paige pierce katrina allen Kristen tatar that's it me too i yeah. th- i think including Valerie Mondahano is only appropriate if you allow yourself the recency bias. I think if you look back even to last year, there's no reason to include Valerie Mondahano. She's definitely an S tier player. I don't know that I would even put her in the same category as Chris and Calvin. If you're looking back longer than a year. She, yeah, I th- I think I agree with you. She just hasn't been doing what she's doing now for long enough for me to admit that yet. Honestly. Yeah, I agree in the sense that I cannot identify a fault in her game. Right. I just can't do it, but I still Prove cannot me, put right? her with those top three. You know, I, in my head, when I, if you asked me to name like the, the four or five best players in the world, I put Haley and Evelina above Valerie. I, I know that there's things in Haley and Evelina's game right now and how many events they're playing and that stuff that that's showing that that's not the case this season, but at, at least in the last you know four or five years in the FPO field, I think Haley and Evelina are definitely ahead of Valerie in my conversation about Elite. I might even put yeah. Miss, Missy like at least on par with Valerie, maybe even ahead. I think Missy's come down with some huge wins at the end of last season. And that yeah. matters, right? Yeah, of course. 
Yeah, I think for me, Valerie is closer to that Evelina tier than Missy. Okay. Um, but I think Missy and Valerie are very similar in the sense that they just do everything very well, kind of like a Chris Dickerson type. Right. Um, but just not quite in the same tier as Chris is in the MPO. So who's who's your um your like Eagle McMahon, like your your robot player? Who do you think is the player that, that wins the most of those categories? Because I, I definitely know who, who mine is. Like the the uh, raw physical talent. I think it's actually Paige. Okay. I, I and I won't the argue only other it. player the only other player it could be is Kristen. And when she won back to back, like Jonesboro DDO, not in that order, but I don't think. But when she won those two back to back, it was really like, okay, Kristen Tatar is the best player in the world. Like And and it didn't look like anybody else could do it clo do it, right? And right, Kristen was, and was gonna be my pick. Yeah. I I think Kristen Tatar to me is just like Chris Dickerson plus plus. Yeah. Where like you're super watching well her, rounded. Yeah, it like it doesn't seem like she is the best in any one thing, but she's like top three in everything. In everything, right. Whereas Paige, I think could you could argue she's the best T to green player. Mm-hmm. And I think she is a top five putter. Right. So it's almost like the conversation comes to like, to be elite of the elite. The expectation is that you're elite in pretty much every major category. And then you also sort of have that like X factor of like, you win a ton of events, you know, you're super dominant in your field. Yeah, maybe maybe what it is to me is like when when Kristen plays, it like looks like it's really like hard fought, grindy, hard earned. Right. Like it's an honest it is an honest great performance. And right. then watching Paige, it's like wow, literally no one can do anything like this. Right. Like it it feels like you're not watching She makes it look too easy. It's like not human, right? Yeah, or she just like outdrives everyone by seventy feet and then makes a sixty foot putt and right. like it's almost like watching Eagle, right? It's like <laughs> Yes, that's exactly it. It's like, wow, like there is clearly no one else who can do anything like this. Whereas Kristen, it's like, okay, I've seen like two or three other people who do this thing as well as her. It's just no one else puts it all together. Right. Like remember, I think it was match play last year, was that right? Where I think it was Eagle and Calvin going against each other and Eagle parks the 700 foot par four. Oh yeah. And I mean, Calvin is like, as far as like golf distance on the course, I put Calvin top five and. Oh, absolutely. And he's looking there like, okay, guess I just <laughs> lost a point to Eagle. They're like, what are you going to do? And Eagle, yeah. I say parked Eagle, put it to like edge of circle one. But for Eagle McMahon, I consider that parked because he's Eagle McMahon. I mean, to be fair, he put it to like 16 feet. Was it that? Okay. I think it was that close. <laughs> it's insane. It wasn't bullseye, I don't think. Okay, but definitely. But I, I think at one. most it was 20 feet. Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna call it there. This was a ton of fun. I loved this, this episode. Um, I hope all our listeners did as well. Yeah, certainly a nice little thought exercise, something I am certainly all about. Yeah, I, I want to do more of these in the future. I think that's kind of our goal is to maybe do some tournament recap and then have an episode like this um, pretty consistently where we just kind of dive into some general conversations about disc golf statistics. So with that, anything left? Yeah, why don't I give you a, uh, a guess the stat here? We didn't do one last episode, and it just felt too wrong. All right, give it so, to me. I've got to do one. All right, so at the most recent tournament, the Preserve, 
Erica Stinchcomb finished fourth in shots gained C1X with 4.82. So about one and a half per round. Can you name the last time you can specify a, a exact tournament or just a month or, or whatever you want? Can you name the last time that Erica Stinchcomb played a tournament and lost strokes to the field in C1X? So you're saying she she gained, you know, a little more than one per round in the preserve. When was the last time that she did not gain strokes? For a tournament, not right, not right, an individual right. round. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously shooting in the dark here and just thinking about how far it would have to go back for it to be like impressive. I'm going to say, I'm just going to pull a number out and say 2019. It's not quite that long ago. Yeah. I didn't think you'd go I, back that far. That's a lot I appreciate, uh, wanting to go back that far. Um, so every tournament she's played this year, she has gained strokes on the field in C1X. Okay. Um, to find the last tournament where she did not, you have to go back to the second to last tournament of 2021, which was the green mountain championship in September of 2021, where she lost, I think it was like 0.7. Barely. To the field or something. Yeah. That's a cool one. Yeah. I wonder how many hidden stats like that there are you know, the how far do you have to go back sort of history stats. Um, yeah, countless, I'm sure. Up. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All, all right, right, man, that's all I got. That's all I got. We will leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please let us know what you think of the new format, um, kind of the split episodes where we focus just on tournament recap in one episode, and then we talk about the other stuff in a different episode. With that... We'll see you soon. Peace.